Good morning. It's great to see all of you today. We've uh, been doing this series, and I was thinking about it as I was getting ready this week, uh, about The Chosen. If you haven't had an opportunity to watch it, it's an incredible series that's been put together that presents the life of Jesus and, and pretty much presents the life of the disciples and the followers of Jesus and how much God loved them all. And so if you haven't watched it, let me encourage you, thanks, Scott, for, uh, to watch it. And I, I know that you may be kind of like uh, theologically put off by it because maybe they don't get everything right the way that you think they should get it right or you think maybe Jesus should be a little taller or uh, have blue eyes. Or, uh, I, we have all kinds of imaginations about what Jesus should look like. Uh, we actually have somebody that's in, uh, on our staff that uh, I won't name them because that would be so wrong of me to do this. But she, uh, um, uh, and, and she's, I won't say who she is, but she does a lot of teaching around here. And um, she thinks that uh, Jesus had really big calves because, you know, he had like ripped calves and all this other stuff. And so, you know, I don't know, maybe he did, I don't know. But, but we have all this imagination about Jesus. But what we're using the chosen for is to kind of help us visualize a little bit beyond just word. We're not adding to the scriptures. We're just um, kind of just helping us grab it a little bit better and to understand it a little bit more with some visualization. And, and this series is absolutely profound. I have not been, theo- and I'm, I'm a hawk theologically. I mean, I, if you don't use the right word, I, you know, it's, I'm a hawk when it comes to this stuff. And I've been incredibly pleased with how they've been doing it. But so we've gone through a lot of people. The woman, uh, Mary of Magdala, we've gone through Peter. We've we've talked about um, Nicodemus. We've talked about Nathaniel. Um, We've talked about the Sermon on the Mount. And and then today we're going to be talking about this woman that is described as a woman with an issue of blood. Uh, it's an interesting description of somebody when you don't know their name, that that's how they're described. But, but isn't that kind of how it is, that sometimes we become defined by the things that are wrong with us? At least that's how we allow ourselves to be defined. So if you've ever been in that place, I remember when I went through my divorce, I was a divorced person. Or maybe you're here, you're a widower or a widow, and you now see yourself defined based upon that. And and so uh, we, we have another person that we're going to learn about today. And then I, as I was looking at it and preparing, it's like, you know, you just wrote the same sermon that Stacy preached last week, right? And you know, you, you wrote the same sermon you preached three weeks ago and four weeks ago, and five, you just wrote the exact same thing, and you're just doing it again. And, and it's because it needs to be said again and again and again and again, because we need to know this. We need to, we need to know how God feels about us. So last week, Stacy introduced us to a word that is actually a word that becomes more than a word. It becomes a place. Uh, it, really, it almost becomes like a geographical location. Uh, but um, it's the word marginalized. It means to relegate or to place in a position of little or no importance, influence, or power. Now, it may not actually be a geographical location that your GPS can pick up, but it may be a location that your thoughts are confined to, where your self-perception and your self-awareness or your thoughts about God are. 
Um, and this placement, this marginalization being a redux uh, or put and relegated over to the side can happen for a lot of things, reasons. Um, it can happen in a conversation. You, can, you could have a conversation. Me and my wife went to uh, a restaurant the other day, and as we were sitting there, the waitress only looked at me. And it, and it wasn't because, like, well, I, I'm just so wonderful to look at. It was that for some reason, maybe she thought I was going to pay. Maybe that was what she thought. I mean, uh, which was my wife actually paid. And, but maybe she thought that, so maybe some bias was in play. I don't know. But she only would make eye contact with me. And, and I was kind of aware of it a little bit. And I'm just like, oh, what is she going to have? You know, I'm just kind of trying to get her to look over there. But we can marginalize in a conversation. You can marginalize by turning your body away from, in the conversation, you're turning away from a person. But you can also marginalize in a relationship, or you can marginalize even as a society. We can take groups of people and just shove them over to the side and, and marginalize them. Um, we can be marginalized by people in a lot of different ways. Um, but we also can be marginalized by sickness. I don't know if you've ever been there where your sickness becomes everything about you. You know, um, it, it's just, you're just, view life from the pain in your back or the cancer that you're dealing with or the illness that you struggle with, uh, the Crohn's disease that you may live with silently every single day and the pain and the difficulty of that. And that kind of like marginalizes you inside of your heart. Maybe finances or, or maybe you feel marginalized by the mistakes that you've made in the past. Um, so when I'm thinking about this word marginalized, I kind of, my brain goes a little bit different on it. And it's a, and I look at this word margin. Um, as you're probably aware when you're writing a, a paper, I think we all grew up with those little uh, composition books with the little blotted white and black uh, blots on the front of it. And, uh, but it would have these pages in it and they'd have margins down the side. And when I think about margin, I think about margins. I think about... Those little, those little areas over on the side. Um, they were out of bounds when I was growing up. I was raised Catholic, so my parents had us in Catholic school all of my life, so I had nuns that taught me in elementary school. And I remember in, in Catholic school, and we learned to learn, uh, you know, write cursive and all this other stuff, you know, had to write those big and fluffy and pretty, and it was like art, and you had to do it, but... But if your letters, as you were writing on your composition, if your letters touched the margin, you had to tear the page out and you had to start all over again. The even to touch the margins was out of bounds. And if you touched the margins, you had to write the whole thing over again. See, there was a, a body of the story and then there was the margins is where the story is written, and then there's the out of bounds. And whatever was in the margins was not part of the story. That's how we're using the word marginalized today. That sometimes we go through experiences of life where we just don't even feel like we're part of God's story anymore. We're just out of bounds. The things that we struggle with, the things that we've gone through, the difficulties that we face, the limitations of our life, we, we get to the place where 
we live a marginalized life for various reasons, no longer feeling like we're a part of anybody, anybody's good story. So we're going to watch the portrayal of a real scene that happens in three of the Gospels, and it's about a woman, because of medical issues, that found herself outside the good story. Now, I want you to listen to it as, as the scene goes by. I want you to listen to words that are being said to one another and being said to her, because these words have been spoken over you. Now, they may not have been spoken over you by a person, but they might have been spoken to you by you inside of your head. They might have been spoken to you by society. They may have been spoken to you based upon your illness or, or maybe a life experience. And there, there are words like this, stay here, stay back, there's no room, get away. Don't touch, unclean. These are words that we hear from the outside. They're words that we hear from the inside of our very own souls. Let's watch. Let us pray. Come back, I promise. I promise to be back. Give us some space. The pack. Come back, I promise. Thank you. 
touch me. Everybody back. I asked the question. Who touched me? Master, the crowds are pressing in all around you like this, and you're asking who touched you? They all have. Someone touched me. I felt that power went out of me. Whoever touched me, come forward. Teacher. It was me. Just the fringe of your garment, only the edge, I promise. You are not unclean. Why my garment? I'm sorry. I, I know I should have asked. But if, if you touched me, it would make you ritually unclean according to the law. I, I was sick. I was sick for 12 years. I bled and, and no one could stop it. But, but I believed if I could just touch a piece of your garment. And I was right. I was right. Thank you. The blood is ceased. My daughter. I'm no one's daughter anymore. Look up. Yes, you are. Daughter. My daughter, I know it has been a fight for you for so long. You must be exhausted. Go now in peace. Your faith has made you well. I wish I could stay here longer. But I have business to attend to. I'm so glad that we found each other. Man. Her response to the awareness of Jesus uh, changed everything. But it wasn't just her response. Yeah, excuse me. I try not to uh, show emotions in any part of my life. Uh, <laughs> um, it's really Jesus' willingness to be approached by a person from the margins. And amid all this, these words, they tried to keep her in her place, in her misery. Uh, but she experiences the story of God. There's this word that's thrown around in the Bible, but also in this scene, it's the word unclean. And it, it doesn't mean that you're not a part of Israel. And it didn't mean that you had done anything wrong all the time. It meant that you were just in a place where something needed fixing. Something was out of, uh, that needed to be changed. Something that needed to be cleansed. Something that needed to be put right. You weren't in a place of flourishing in life. 
you know? And, and I think a lot of us have been in a place where we felt unclean. Like I said, I, I think the most uncleanliest place I felt was in my divorce because you just feel out of place with everybody. Everybody else is celebrating Christmas and, and you're all by yourself and you're doing this custody thing and you're, you just feel like you don't fit anywhere. But there are a lot of events that happen in life where we just feel undone, we feel unclean, we feel like odd man out, we just feel like something needs to be fixed in our lives. But most of the things that need to change or be cleansed, um, we, we, need to, we need to step out of the margins of life. We hear things like stay here or stay back or no room or get away and don't touch or uh, you don't want to go to church or you're not the kind of person that should go to church. And these words can be said to us by other people. And we may have heard them from other people. Uh, maybe you walked into a church, and this is unconscionable to me, but, you know, uh, people walk in, in the old days, if you walked in and you had a tattoo on now, you know, it'd be like, I, you're not allowed to come to this church because you have a tattoo. Now you can't be a pastor unless you have a tattoo. Um, I mean, it, it, and, but it used to be before, you know, sometimes... A couple will walk in, same-sex couple will walk in holding hands, and somebody will come up to me and say, Pastor, there's, there's, there's some gay people here, you know? And they're like, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, uh, what do you want me to do? You know, I was like, there's nothing to be done, you know? Um, and, and so we've been told to stay back or to get away. Um, don't touch. I remember as being raised as a Catholic and nothing against Catholics, it was just my life experience. And having gone through a divorce, that meant that I had to, in order to get communion, I had to get an annulment. And it's like, well, what's, what's that? That's, well, that's about a $900 bill where you have to write a letter to the bishop or the archbishop and, and, and show why your marriage really didn't happen, even though you have a three-year-old child. You know, and it's like, so we got to nullify that and pretend it didn't happen. And, and, you know, it's like, no, we don't nullify the margins. Pain hurts, loneliness hurts, mistakes hurt, illnesses hurt, rejection hurts, it's real. Divorce is real, and it happens to people. But these words are spoken to us all the time. But let me tell you this. But Jesus is not saying stay back today. God is not saying there's no room. God is not saying get away. God is not saying do not touch. We may be unclean and there may be some real compromises in our lives. You know, there may be some real compromises. God's not affirming everything. But there's got to be a point where we are in life where we, we get to, to approach God. And God is approachable. God has approached us. We're, we're all a mess. We really are. It's, uh, we only survive being a mess because we make sure that our mess is not worse than the other guy next to us. And that's how we feel better about ourselves. It's like, well, you know, you know I'm, I'm screwed up. Yeah, but, but Sal, you know, it's like, that dude is whacked, you know? And so I feel a little bit better about myself. You know, because of that, or, or maybe this is that we just 
try to hide whatever's wrong with us and just hope to God that nobody finds out what our mess is. And your mess doesn't have to be big. It can be a small little thing. You know, I had a small little thing happen to me a couple weeks ago. I was diagnosed with uh, Drosophilia melangaster. And I know um, some of you are right, wanting to go into prayer for me right now. It's the uh, formal name of a fruit fly, okay? And fruit flies are just these little itty-bitty little things. But we had them. And we had them in our kitchen. And, I, you know, we live near the woods, and that's our excuse. We're sticking to it. And we live near the woods, and we live near the outdoors, and so you get a fruit fly, and you got a couple of bananas and an and a, a, a orange that hasn't been eaten over to the side, and all of a sudden, yet you reach over and you grab them, and all of a sudden, poof, a little puff of smoke of Drosophila melangaster begin to fly around. And, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And so I, I mean, we got fly strips. I went to, yeah, I went to Tractor Supply. I went, I went deep south, y'all. Yeah, okay, I didn't go no lows. Lowe's weren't going to get it done. I needed tractor supply. And I went to tractor supply, and I had those little, those little you know, fly papers that curl, you know, and if it you touch, you touches your arm, you rip it half your, the hair off your arm. And so we had like eight of them around the house because we had a party coming up. And, you know, all, all of a sudden, this little thing is a very embarrassing thing, especially to a homekeeper. It's like, wow, you know, it's kind of like roaches a little bit. It's like all of a sudden, you know, it's one thing for you to know they're there, but when your company notices they're there, it all sudden, you feel like maybe it's saying something about you. Well, um, so we, we were fighting the good fight of flies, and we, we, we just like, where are they coming from? And one of the wonderful guests that was at our house uh, just happened to go to that broken microwave where we forgot we put a pizza about four weeks ago. Yeah, and so just a little thing, and so uh, so they uh, they opened it up, and all of a sudden a swarm. I mean, it was like one of those movies, like from uh, Tomb Raider or something. And all of a sudden, like out of the monster's mouth, all the flies come, and it come. And she shut the door, and she got a hold of Susan, and said, "I think I I know where your fruit fly problem is." But I say this is that. It doesn't have to be a big thing that makes us feel unclean, that makes us feel separated from God. You may even be sitting here, it's like, well, I can't go to a church where the pastor's been divorced before. It's like, it's like oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm unclean for you. Um, it could be a little thing. It could be an attitude. It could, it could be an experience. It could be some violation that was done against you when you were younger but it can be that one thing that taints your whole life. But God in Christ approaches us so we can be free and so that we can approach him. See, we're on the planet Earth and we think there's, there's the marginalized and then there's the unmarginalized. But from God's perspective, the whole Earth is marginalized. I mean, in one of the Psalms, it says, what is man that thou art mindful of him. I mean, he's lower than the angels. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, there's billions of galaxies out there, right, Lord? 
you know, there's prettier nebulas. You know, there's, you know, maybe even other creatures out in the far, far vast universe. But what about this little, it's not even the center of its solar system. It's not even the first planet. It's not the last planet. It's the third planet. Like, what is it? This little marginalized little planet where people are building nuclear bombs, hating each other because of the color of their skin. It's like, just be done with them. Why do you care about them? It's because they're marginalized. And God comes to us. While life says, stay here, stay back, no room, get away, don't touch, God comes to us. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. It's like I've broken down the wall for you. I've taken that margin and I've invited you, I've broken a hole in it so that you can now be a part of the story if you wanna be a part of the story. Paul continued to say, in Christ we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. It's like we have, through Christ, the, the invitation from God to be a part of the story, to be part of a good story. And God invites us to be a part of it. All we have to do is touch the hem of his mercy. She could have stayed back. Um, and today, you could stay back and you'd miss everything. You could just stay back in the margins of life and you could just, you know, just say, I don't want to be a part of that story. You have that opportunity today. But let me be clear to you, wherever your life is, and this may get really personal, but I know we all have excuses, but that wall has been broken down. Um, ladies, men are not holding you back, regardless of what the Barbie movie wants to tell you. The diatribe that gets played out every single time we feel marginalized is the same that's been going on from the beginning of time. The argument and the fighting that we do, you know, blacks, it's not the whites. Whites, it's not the blacks. Poor, it's not the rich. Rich, it's not the, it's not the poor. Educated, it's not the uneducated. Uneducated, it's not the educated. It's not your dad holding your back no matter what he did. It's not your personal mistakes that are holding your back. Uh, it's not your unclean addictions that have the power to hold you back. The power of those things have been broken down, but we choose to remain in the margins. Only your willingness to reach and to receive the grace of God is needed. Only your willingness will stop you. That's the only thing that's holding you back. I think it's really interesting in the story is that there are, there are elements that are marginalizing her. Her illness, there are, um, and, and she has fought that illness. 
See, we're being told that if you're being marginalized, attack the thing that's marginalizing you. So we're gonna be at war as a nation with each other for the end of time. Because you'll always find somebody that will not give you what you think you deserve. You'll always find that. You know, you'll find that in your home. Your wife won't give you what you think you deserve. Your husband will not live up to what you think he should live up to. You will always find somebody that will marginalize. I mean, I felt that the other day. Ireland came over to the house, my youngest, uh, second youngest grandchild, and, and she came to the house, and, and um, normally she runs, and she will run down the driveway, whatever, and jump in my arms, and I'll pick her up, and she'll hug me, and she'll say, I love you, Papa, and then all this stuff, and I feel great. Well, this one time, she didn't do that. She just kind of like, it's hot. <laughs> and I was kind of like, well, all right. You know, it's like... Yeah, it's hot, you know, and, and, and it was kind of like, and I thought for a split second, it's like, so you need a three-year-old child to make you feel good? You, you just got marginalized by a three-year-old not running up into your arms. How pathetic are you? Seriously. Seriously. If we can get, to, if we can get a hold of this, then we can start loving each other. Because I take the burden of you either putting me in your story or not in your story. I take it off of you. I put that burden on God. It's like, God, I need to be a part of a... Because you're all wonderful people, I'm sure, but I don't want to be a part of your story. I mean, come on. You're probably... You could be richer than me. You could be smarter than me. You could have a bigger swimming pool than me. You could be driving a nicer car than me. But it's like, that's not going to change my life, is it? It's not going to change my life. It's going to come down whether or not, am I a part of God's story? And then I can stop fighting all the rest of you because I'm blaming you for why I'm not wealthier, smarter, prettier. You know, I can give my three-year-old grandchild a break. I can give, you know what I'm saying? But we, we so this woman doesn't begin beating up the disciples on the side of the head. She doesn't go after the priest. She doesn't start fighting everybody that's marginalized. She's like, no, I am not even looking at that. I'm going, the wall's been broken down. All I have to do is touch the hem of his garment and I will be healed. It's your willingness. Do you want to be healed or not? There will always be somebody to marginalize you. So the witch hunt has got to stop. Your willingness is the only thing that's going to stop you. She could have stayed put, and she didn't. The text says, and his disciples said to Jesus, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, and I love the way Peter said it in this movie, who touched you? You know? Because <laughs> it almost sounds Italian. I can hear like my, you know, somebody on my, oh, you know, you're saying, who touched you? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. See, the disciples don't see the individual's in the crowd. They, they don't get the personal in the task of the environment. They actually think Jesus is stupid for stopping to add a person to the story who touched me. And don't you go through life really fast like that? I mean, you, you get busy in your business. Um, teachers with kids, sometimes you miss the student, the kid in the middle of the class. Doctors with patients, you miss the life that you're 
you're, you're dealing with. Um, police officers, sometimes you can, you know, uh, you know, write the ticket but forget the person. Pastors, you can kind of teach the principles but forget the lives, the brokenness in the audience. Moms, dads, husbands, wives, sometimes we think it's even stupid to stop and to validate. But Jesus does. The woman got healed, right? I mean, that's is not what church is all about, getting healed. Um, why, why not move on? Why not? Why stop? Why not? Uh, why uh, isn't the miracle of God the big show in this story? Isn't that really what it's all about? It's like having this big miracle take place. I mean, this story, this church will be filled today. We get one person healed of cancer in this story, in this church today, and I guarantee you, um, Three weeks from now, this place would be standing room only. We'll be doing five services because, because that's what we respond to a lot. I mean, isn't that what the big story is? I don't think so. I don't think that's at the heart of the story. Jesus turns, stops the crowd, turns around, not to heal because that's already been done. She's already fixed. Not to complete a task. That task is already accomplished but to know and to see the person. To know and see her. And I'm telling you, that is the most powerful strength you'll ever experience in your life, is being known and being seen. And there is no one greater to be known and seen by than God himself. I mean, so think about the last time you were at Publix. Can you even remember what that person looked like? Do you even remember the conversation? I mean, I'll, I'll follow the eggs. That's what I do. I follow the eggs because you don't want them broken, right? So you, and you're paying like $10 a, a gackle these days for, a, for some eggs. And, and you'll put it on there and you'll watch the eggs. And you're going to watch how they handle the eggs. And then you'll follow it and you'll scan it and you'll watch. It's going to go to the bag. Okay, yeah, then you're going to watch the milk because that better not go on the eggs. Okay. And then you got your bag and somebody hands it to you, have a great day, you walk out. And it's like, wait a minute, did I even see the checkout person? Did I say anything to them? I mean, was it just bag or plastic? I don't know, maybe I'm telling on myself, maybe they don't say that anymore. But, it, but did I miss them? It's so easy to miss the person. Did you see your spouse when they came home on Friday? Did you know them? Did you see them? Um, when was the last time you really spoke with your child? I mean, really see them. You know, I know it's so easy to get caught up in the, uh, did you pick up your room like I asked you to? You know, did you do your homework? My dad used to come home before he knew Christ, so I'll always say this, but he used to have a list of all the stuff. You'd wake up in the morning, and my dad would have chores, a list that you would come downstairs, and the first thing that you would see, it's odd, there was a mirror right there, right on the mirror. So while you're looking at yourself, you would also look at the list from your father. So you saw yourself only in the list of whether or not you got the task done. And Pop would come home at 5 36 o'clock. You know, he was a good, hardworking man. He'd walk in the door, the little bell on the top of the, because we put a bell there so, so we could know when the old man was home, because it was always scary. And the door would open and ding, ding, ding. It's like, oh, crap, he's home. And then we kind of, and the first thing you hear is like, Paul, did you paint the porch and rotate the tires? 
and replace the engine in the car? What have you been doing all day today? Or do you see your child? Do you see the person? I love the next piece of the narrative of the story. It's awesome. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. What an incredible phrase. When she saw that she had not escaped notice. I am telling you today, you have not escaped God's notice. Regardless of how marginalized you feel, no matter, I don't care if you think, well, not enough people talked to me when I came to Crosstown today. When I walked in the door, that man didn't smile at me. Or whatever it is that you walked in here today with, no matter what's going on at work, God wants you to know that nobody, nobody, I mean, please, nobody escapes God's loving, compassionate notice. Jesus made it so that you couldn't do that. Listen to the beloved, relational, and connecting language of Jesus to this woman. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I love the, the fact that they added, I am nobody's daughter, that she says that. The phrase daughter is so inclusive, so inclusive. Let me just say, Jesus didn't have some bias against the female gender. He's like, no, you're my daughter. He said, daughter, in the possessive, you're my daughter. Before you were marginalized, you were just a woman described in the story as a woman with an issue of blood. Before the end of the story, she is daughter. I'm telling you, if you're looking for a religious experience greater than being called my son and my daughter, by God, there is no greater experience than to know that you are beloved by God. If you speak in the tongues of angels, if you do miracles, if you have visions and revelations, but you have not love, if you do not know the love of being beloved by God in your marginalization, it, you're missing the whole story. God loves you. We get this so messed up. There's a verse that says, starts this way, to as many as receive him, referring to Jesus, to them he gave the right to become what? See, most of us will plug in there, to as many as receive him, to them he gave the, the power to become perfect, well-balanced, ethical, moral, orderly, responsible citizens who understand the original Greek. That's what we think at all. It's like, no. It says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power power and the right to become the sons and the daughters of God. Man, that is so powerful. And we're waiting for this guy or this girl or this political party or this color 
or whatever it is to kind of make us feel good about ourselves, you'll be waiting for the rest of your lives. Racism is on this planet until the planet evaporates. Bias will be on this planet until the planet is destroyed. But the love of God is right here. The wall has been broken down. You can spend the rest of your life fighting those around you to try to get them to use your pronoun or to call you the right thing or whatever so that you can demarginalize yourself. Or you can start today and approach God because his mercy is right there. All you have to do is be willing to reach it, to want it. God has invited you into the story and out of the margins today. He knows that you're tired and you're exhausted. He knows it. He knows you're trying to live up to other people's expectation, and that is absolutely exhausting. He knows that you've been shoved. He knows you have been pushed. He knows the prejudices and the chauvinisms and all the other things, the isms that have been, he knows what's on the planet. He knows that you've been blocked, that you've been crushed, and he knows you're just exhausted. Can I just even take this a little bit further? Let's take care of everybody else. Have you ever just been exhausted being you? It's my greatest exhaustion. I am so sick and tired of just being in my own head. I am exhausted. And God looks at me and says, son, I'm glad we found each other today. I love the beautiful image that comes from this episode of Jesus holding this woman's face just with his hands say, well, it can't really be that good. I mean, it's all about getting saved, right? It's all about not going to hell, right? It's all about being sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, right? It's all about voting against abortion. It's all about, you know, whatever. All the things that we make it. Let me just tell you, if it's not about our hearts being cradled by the love of God, all the rest of it is not worth it. But God so loved the world, the marginalized planet of earth, that he gave his only begotten son so that our souls could experience that, so that we could be a part of his story. I love how the writer of Hebrews says it this way, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy find grace to help in the time of need. So I, I don't know what has got you marginalized. And it may have been just a word that was spoken over your life when you were 14 years old. Your dad may have said, you know, you're not going to amount to anything. And that marginalized you for most of your life. It may have been that your dad wasn't there. It may, it may have been that your mom focused on your sister instead of focusing on you. She was the cute one. 
What about that? Maybe you're marginalized by your weight. I mean, I come from a family of eight. I raised three daughters. I don't know why some struggle with food and weight and weight gain and can't lose weight. And then there's that, that jerky little sister that's skinny from birth and can fit in all the dresses and gets picked for all the plays and gets to be a cheerleader and all this. And you got marginalized. Or maybe it was that guy that was really good at sports and he gets pushed to the front. You know, and you just weren't good and you're just gaming in your basement and you're like, you know, and you've been marginalized because you didn't have what it, society says, that kid's going somewhere. I'm telling you, it's easy to get marginalized. We can fight the world or we can just reach out and touch the hem of God's incredible garment, his mercy. Father, we thank you for your love today. You love us so much. And God, some of us are caught in some religious thing. We think if we dress the right way, we think if we don't use the bad words, we think that if we only watch the right movies, if we think, and, and there are some benefits to some of these things, I, but we think that if, if, you know, we listen to only Christian music and drive a Christian car and work at the church, you know, then you'll be so pleased with us and you'll love us so much and we can feel good about ourselves. Nothing could be further from the truth. While we were yet sinners, while we were staggering in our marginalization, Christ died for us. And to as many as receive him, he gives the power to be the sons and the daughters of God. Thank you so much, God. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us. Let me invite you to communion. This bread, this cup that we give you is, it's kind of like, it's like God is handing it over the margin writing of the story crosses into the margins and God is offering you mercy he's offering you the hem of his garment he's offering you belonging he sees you he knows you you have not escaped his notice